Uh, there are no pressing announcements. Uh, we did move the session meeting up to Tuesday. Um, summer schedule with people going in and out. We have the call to worship. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such as to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's by our hearts and heads and sign of preparation for worship. Let us stand and sing hymn 203, 203.
as your people, God above, we do cry out for your justice uh, upon us, Lord, and upon and exercised in your providence across this world, Lord. And we certainly ask and pray for deliverance, Lord, of many unto your glorious namesake. Nevertheless, we submit, Lord, uh, to your will and to your call of justice and righteousness that shall be fully revealed in the last days when Christ Jesus shall return. And even now, Lord, we cry and pray in accordance to such a psalm and other uh, explanations in the Word of God in both Testaments. And we ask in particular this evening, God Almighty, for this nation of ours, and we certainly pray for mercy upon her, Lord, for full justice would mean fire from heaven and the earth to open up below her, God, for all the wickedness and destruction that she has heaped upon the unborn and others, Lord, uh, and living as well, God, in various and sundry ways. We're certainly thankful, Lord, that after 49 years, Roe v. Wade has been overturned, and we rejoice in that, God, and ask and pray for continued uh, purity and truth in our nation and in our entertainment and in the media, God, and for the removal of uh, wicked men and wicked laws and wicked leaders and influencers of this nation. We ask, Lord, for safe and peace uh, during this 4th of July uh, weekend, God, in particular, in our neighborhoods and across this land, Lord Almighty. And so, Lord, we ask for a change of heart and revival and reformation across this nation, Lord. May it begin in the churches and the house of God with the full, robust preaching of repentance and faith and the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We ask, Lord, for our work situation, wherever it may be, if we are students, if we are having a job, if we are children, uh, Lord Almighty, that we have a job and a duty to be sure, whether we're paid or not. And may we work as unto the Lord and work well to know our strengths and weaknesses. We ask in particular, God, and we pray uh, for those who need better hours, uh, better pay, uh, better work environment, Lord. We pray for their safety. And we ask, God, in particular for those who are dealing with retirement, and retirement may be coming upon them soon, that you would help them work to that end. And help us, Lord, uh, to save the monies that we have to be wise stewards of what you've given us on our jobs and in the income. And not just that, Lord, uh, but the resources and the things that we possess that you've blessed us with in your providence, uh, that they would be used for your kingdom's sake, Lord, to help our families, to help our friends, to help our church, uh, whether that means for immediate uh, emergencies or the help of relaxation and rest and vacation, God, and these things that you've allowed us and blessed us with, Lord, may we use them in proper proportion, God, uh, always understanding our calling and place in life, Lord, uh, to work uh, six days and to rest the seventh day uh, for your glorious name's sake, we pray. And we also ask for our health, God, the health of our body, that we are to take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we are to eschew and flee uh, temptation, not just sin, but the circumstances therein as well, Lord, and take care of our body, Lord, and whatever uh, that may be for our particular case, God, to the extent that we are able. We have to balance many things and time and money and um, the ability, Lord, to find good doctors and the like. Help us that end, we pray, and especially for those with chronic ailments, uh, Lord, for those who... Uh, as we have a, a new outbreak again of some sorts of COVID, Lord, that you protect and heal them. And uh, God, we ask that we have access to good medical help, and good um, access to whatever else we need, Lord, in the local stores and medicine and the like. We help and pray, help us, Lord, we pray in particular, to be wise with our time, to be wise with our body, with our diet, with our exercise, or whatever else we need. We pray not only and ask God for our bodies, 
We pray also for our souls, of our continued sanctification, not only of our use of our body, but of our heart and mind and soul, Lord, and that we would love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us, we pray to that end, and that we would continue to read your word, we would continue to pray, we would continue to have family devotions, uh, Lord, and to be ready to give an answer of the hope that is within us, uh, to study your word, to memorize, again, uh, as best we can, Lord, we're not called to be uh, pastors, we're not called to be theologians, but we are called to do a little more, perhaps, than what we have, God, for some of us and others, Lord, to be satisfied with our limitations that we can do no more. Whatever we find ourselves in, God, help us, we pray, to persevere on our calling, to be holy and godly, to follow your law and to love you, God, and to use the means and occasions and provocations you've given us, Lord, to inflame that love and desire and obedience to your word. We pray, God, continued mercy and grace upon us, that your spirit would help us grow in the fruits of the spirit therein, and long-suffering and patience and joy, we pray, for one another and especially for the things that you continue to do for us. As we will see this evening, God, as you've given us uh, your signs of pleasure and love upon us through your church, through the preaching of your word, and in particular through the giving of the Lord's Supper. We ask and ask and pray, Lord, and plead your spirit that you would be magnified and that we would, Lord, continue to lift you up in all that we do throughout the week for your glorious kingdom's sake and the growth of your people and your church. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. Let us rise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. We ask God that we would take seriously our call to help support the kingdom of God through the giving of the tithes and offerings and ask for your blessings upon them, Lord. Not, Lord, for our own sake that we'd be rich and selfish, God, but for the sake of your kingdom that we would have more funds to help one another in the work and the growth of the kingdom of God. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Let us turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1, as we go over a topic uh, that many people may find surprising uh, to be a theme, a sub-theme to be sure, but a theme nevertheless in the book of Deuteronomy, of all places. The second giving of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 29 to 31, let us listen attentively to God's word. Chapter 1, verses 29 to 31. Then I said to you, this is the Lord speaking to Israel, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man, carries his son, and all the way that you went until you came to this place. Moses exhorts them as God speaks through him. Let us pray. We read here, Lord, of your fatherly love toward the church of old. 
as God, not just for them and their sake, as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians, but written for our sake as well, Lord, that you are caring the church and watching the church, even our church and our people, throughout all the days of our lives. And you carry us, Lord, through our difficult times as a man. The Father carries his Son and all the way that we have gone and continue to go. May that encourage us, Lord, that we have your love shed abroad upon us in guiding and protecting us and going before us in our life. And with us, we should be encouraged and thankful all the more. In your name we pray. Amen. The Lord's Supper is given by God for you, Church of Jesus Christ, for several sundry reasons. For the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death, the sealing of all the benefits thereof unto true believers, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe unto him, and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of the mystical body. Now that's a mouthful. I'm certainly not going to preach on all that. There's another reason that God has given us the Lord's Supper, and that is to show his love to us through Christ Jesus. As I preached prior, that the Lord's Supper is the visible word, the visible gospel, in tangible form because of the weakness of our faith. Another, and so, therefore, we have learned here another reason, an important reason, I will go through in this text, another text, to show you that God has given us not just an opportunity for us to publicly affirm that He is our God, but that He is affirming that He is our Father through the Lord's Supper. It is here as an expression of His love in Christ Jesus for us, brothers and sisters. The first point is, your God loves you. Your God loves you. And I can say it very clearly without sarcasm, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And you can only say that to God's people, to his baptized people, and no one else. His love in general is not to be thrown about, this idea of God's love uh, upon creation, as we'll talk about a little bit here, to be bandied about as cheap love, when people talk that way, I grew up in circles like that, where God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, so you, why don't you just convert and be saved? And if any of them were smart and quick on the draw, the unbeliever would say, well, if he loves me and has a wonderful plan, why do I need to repent? <laughs> don't, don't lie to people. We, we know better than that, unfortunately. Uh, lots of people talk that way. Now, what is God's love? How do we understand love? I want to go into a deep philosophical definition. We all understand love. We experience it, we express love to one another, especially within the family and to those close to us, as is the nature of love. Uh, One dictionary, uh, Bible dictionary, defines it, uh, describes it as love is not only one of God's attributes, it is also an essential part of his nature. God is love, the Bible declares in 1 John 4, 8, right? God is love. He doesn't simply have love. And the love that we have is a gift from God. Such love, he continues, surpasses our powers of understanding, Ephesians 3.19. Love like this is everlasting, Jeremiah 31. It's free, Hosea 14.4. Sacrificial, John 3.16. And enduring to the end, John 13.1. Because love, I would argue, is a dedication, a commitment to somebody. And God is committed to us. 
for an eternal end of the saving of our soul and for his glorious name's sake. And therefore, we should not doubt that God loves us with an everlasting love. It is not fickle and changeable because his love is immutable. <clears throat> I preached a few months ago on the attributes of God. One of the significant reasons we have to remember and remind ourselves of the attributes of God because those four main attributes, the incommunicable attributes, that which makes God God, is immutable. Independence, for example, is that the other attributes, the communicable attributes, those things that we have in common as creatures, we share in a creaturely way with God. So we have love and we have justice, we have truth, and God has those to be sure. But in spades, and how do we describe that? It's an immutable love. It's an immutable truth. It's an independent love. It's an independent truth. And because it's an immutable God, his love is immutable, and thus we can have the confidence that he loves us with an everlasting Love, brothers and sisters, doctrine and theology makes all the difference in the Christian life and our confidence in walking and in knowing that he loves us and will never cast us off. He is dedicated in directing all things for our good and his glory with the promise of mercy forevermore. That's his love. And I've already kind of skipped into a sub-point, his love in particular for us. Now there is a a fatherly love of creation where he gives, give good, he gives good gifts to all. And Christ says that. He gives rain to the just and unjust. That is, he gives good things. God is long-suffering. It's in Matthew 5.45, in fact. His, the sun rises on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We can call that God's general love, or his long-suffering, his general kindness to even those who hate him. Long-suffering is the language of Romans. And that's an important distinction there. God certainly gives the sun a good thing for crops, and rain a good thing for crops and for the belly, even upon the unjust but that's about the extent of it. All the other gifts and the gifts in abundance he gives, especially to his people. That's his particular love, which is the love in a more proper sense in many ways that we understand. His love that he's given before the foundation of the world, that he chose you. And anyone else who repents and believes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in Ephesians 1, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The unbeliever does not have every spiritual blessing. And even the blessings he has of the sun and the rain is but temporary, whereas the sun and the rain, that is the good things of the body and of this world, will be ours for eternity in the new heaven and new earth. It's everlasting, although spotty in our life right now the good things that we think of typically. For the unbelievers, it's spotty. That's the best they're ever going to get. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. It's love. They are mentioned three times, as I recall, in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. A lot of truth in those verses. And one of them, it's in love. And the context of love is not in the personal God who just willy-nilly, as it were, doesn't really care 
and blindly picks random people in eternity past, but he has a personal and everlasting interest in our deliverance and salvation. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses is reminding and encouraging the people, for they were scared. The people are greater, verse 28, and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. How can we go into the land after we scouted it and saw these giants, right, and these huge grapes (laughs) and this food and these figs? We are but grasshoppers before these mighty men. And God speaks through Moses and says, Do not be terrified or afraid of them. That's why he's speaking to them. He wants to encourage them, and he encourages them with his love. How in the wilderness, verse 31, where you saw the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. If a man's carrying his son, what kind of a man is that? A father. (laughs) My daughter's like, a father. Yeah, a father. God's saying, I'm like a father to you. I'm a, a loving father. I am bestowing my grace and love upon you. And that idea of love, a love that's unmerited, undeserved, is in Deuteronomy chapter 7, in particular. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 and following. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor chose you because you were more in number than any other people. Back in the ancient Near East, if you had a prosperous society, had lots of people and a large population, uh, that you were worthy, perhaps, of the gods to choose you to be their people. Because you're great and mighty, and of course the gods don't want someone petty and small. They want someone great and mighty like them, or so they think of themselves. As we know, many of these gods are just the pagan gods of the ancient Near East, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, are very much like the Greek gods. These petty interfightings, and they're just like big babies sometimes, little children and youth, teenagers run amok. And I was like, I'm not one of those gods. I didn't choose you because I want a great grandeur, and that you were more in number than anyone else, for you were the least of all peoples. I chose you because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage. God has promised to the fathers, and that promise is given to us. And we see that language explicitly in Acts chapter 2, in Peter's sermon, the day of Pentecost. The promise is to you and to your children. Speaking to a Jewish audience, same promise here, Deuteronomy 7, 7. God promised to the father Abraham and to all those who are the children of Abraham, not just biological, it was never biological, though God used that, and it was always certainly spiritual. It wasn't just being born, as we know, a Jew, but they had to believe and follow Jesus, the Messiah, to come. Although God is good to all creation, his love chooses some out of the creation to bestow even more grace and love upon them, just like your fathers on the earth. Your father, I hope, and you as fathers, I hope, have been nice to the neighborhood kids, but you don't shower them with blessings and gifts and attention. You do that for whom? Your family and your children. 
And so it is with our Father above. Sure, he gives good gifts to men, but that's no promise that he has a wonderful plan for their life. Until they repent, they cannot give, be given those promises. Until they repent, that love that we know and understand as Christians will not be bestowed upon them, but is bestowed upon us. And so let us see how God, your Father, shows his love for you. In particular, God fathers you. I use it as a verb here in my second point as I guess only a speaker can. He loves you, but he loves you as a father. Verses 29 to 31, I already read some of that. Do not be terrified. The Lord your God will go before you. He will fight for you according to all that he did. That's what a father does. He protects his family and his children. And he, if he has to, will fight for them. And we are blessed to live in a nation and have so much peace and prosperity for so many generations that we've rarely had to do that except overseas. Certainly not locally since the Civil War. So we never had to fight that way. But you know you would if you had to, because that's what a father does. He would sacrifice his body for his people. And the emphasis here, of course, is in the wilderness where you saw the Lord your God carried you. He lifted you up as a deflated, worn-out child in the wilderness, in a desert. Not in the wilderness we have out here, but in a desert. Hardly any water. And the sun's scorching down upon you, and the father takes the burden, an extra burden of not only his own body, but the body of his son, and carries him through the desert. That's the image he shows of his love, of his fatherly love, not just for them, for us. We know it's the church in particular that these texts are about, not Israel as a nation per se. That's secondary. But it's always God's people, wherever they may be, wherever the church of Jesus Christ is. God fathers them. He carries them. Although it doesn't always feel like you're being carried, perhaps sometimes it feels like you're being dragged or <clears throat> dropped out of an airplane. But God is there nevertheless. Because certainly that's how they felt in the desert. We know that. We know the complaining and the anger and the bitterness and the longing to go back to Egypt for the leeks and the food. And God says, nevertheless, I'm the one carrying you. I'm protecting you and preserving you and guiding you through the desert. And so God does for us. So the fatherly love of our Lord and Savior is in Deuteronomy, an unlikely place of all places, in several texts. So we have in verse 31, in the wilderness where God saw you and carried you as a man carries his son. Chapter 7, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were... Uh, more in number than anyone's, but because the Lord loves you. Chapter 8, verse 5, you should know that in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Deuteronomy ten fifteen. the Lord delighted not only in your fathers to love them, he chose your descendants after them, and you above all peoples as it is this day. In chapter 32, verse 6 of Deuteronomy, he is the father that brought you from the slavery of Egypt. Love and fatherly love are there in the book of the law of God in Deuteronomy. And that makes sense because God gives his love and God gives his law as a father. Fathers give the law in the house. You have to do that. You have to put your foot down and make sure there's order and moral um, stability therein. And so the father does that for us with the giving of the law, Deuteronomy in the Old Testament form. 
uh, but especially the idea here of love and compassion and long-suffering and protecting of us. Our Heavenly Father has done many things for us and loves us with an everlasting love. The Father of love has many ways of being described. I'll pick a few of them. One is protector. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you. God fights for the church. Now, not always an overt way, as you saw in the Old Testament, where he literally calls up the judges, he calls David up, and says, go fight the Philistines, right? We don't have that. We don't have prophets anymore. Nevertheless, God still defends and protects us. He does it through ordinary providence. He does it through our prayers. He does it through we, his people, in the leadership of the church, and you as members, watching over and protecting one another both body and soul. Because he tells us to admonish one another. That's a form of protection, protection of our soul, and to watch over and protect our bodies. That's why we have deacons in the church, because God is not only concerned with the soul, but with the body as well. So God has given us ways of protection, and it is through the means of providence, God's law, and the power that he has enabled us with, that sometimes falls short to be sure, and you're, you're left to do nothing but just wait to see what God happens has a store for you in providence. That's true. But at the end of the day, we're still called to be watchmen in the towers. At the end of the day, we're still called to work so that we have a job and food in the table. And we are able to do these things because God is working through those and blessing us and protecting us through these things. Near accidents on the road. I can think of a couple in my own life. On the highway, I didn't see where they came from. I tried to pay attention. And they're just crazy people out there on the road. Almost got hit. We almost got hit today. That lady off of Hampton or whoever it was in the white car and the dark windows just kept going and going. I'm like, are you even looking at me? I'm not even in your blind spot. And God protected us. And the peace and the protection that we have in our neighborhoods Bob has an excellent story. Asked Bob about the shooting of his neighbor. If you've not heard that story that happened this week, God protected him. And even protected the neighbor who apparently is a Christian and claims to be a Christian. He survived. He was shot at by two guys, two thugs with a 9mm. God protects and provides for us. He not only protects in that sense of of the body and the soul, of course, but a provider in particular of giving us the food and the things that we need. Chapter 7, as I said, he brings blessings upon us, children and food and productivity, food and water in the desert, as we know in the Old Testament, for 40 years, in spite of the complaining. Fathers do this, mothers do this, of course, the children complain about the broccoli, or maybe that's just me. And they still feed the kid anyways, although they may feed him with a spanking, but they feed him. God provides us with things that we need, even if that requires a spanking in our providence. Matthew 19.29, we're reminded that anyone who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, right, for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. The provisions he's given us are not always here in this life right now. We actually end up losing family members because you follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. Losing your country, lands, it says, because you follow Jesus Christ. And God says, I'll still provide for you. It's not the way you think it's going to be. It'll be a hundredfold. 
Yea, I would say even a thousandfold. Because Christ said, in heaven are many mansions. If it were not so, I'd have said so. We have streets of gold to look forward to, brothers and sisters. He provides for us. And God's love is not only one who protects and provides. A fatherly love is one who protects. A fatherly love is one who provides. And he also is personal. God counts a number on our heads. He has intimate knowledge. That is, he pays attention and considers our weakness. And he loves us nevertheless. That attention means he considers what we are. And our frailty, he even says, if we read in the Psalms. He's a personal God. And he sent us his only begotten son because he loves us. And he created the sacraments because he knows that we need tangible things for our weak faith as we get distracted and battered to and fro in this life. He's given us the means of grace and preaching in particular as a sign of his love upon us. So even the French church in the 1600s for like 80 years or so, late 1500s into the mid-1680, was it 1680, I think it was, I don't recall anymore. Um, they had no, hardly any pastors. It was just all ruled by the Roman Catholic Church. They were scattered about, the Huguenots. That's how we got a lot of them across the sea and across the world because there's so much persecution in France during those 80 years or so. But they still had the Word of God. They still had each other. And although it was hard to find pastors, they still had preaching somewhere in the country. That was a sign of God being with them and preserving and protecting them. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are also God's sign of love upon us as well, that he has given us not just for the ears and eyes which are preaching, we hear and see, but with the hands and the mouth in which we touch and feel and taste to know that the Lord indeed is good and loves us. And so the Lord's Supper is an expression of God's fatherly love that he carries us and he cares for us and he's given us provisions in Christ Jesus himself for the saving of our soul. The Lord's Supper helps protect us from Satan's doubt and provides assurance of our salvation and presents Christ in a personable, tangible manner. Protection from the lies of the devil, that you have sinned and God will never forgive you is a lie indeed, for God has forgiven the church of old for their complaints in the desert, in the wilderness, and he says, I still carried you. You're still my son. Did not disown you. And that's the protection he has, and he's given us against the devil, and the lies of the devil, and the provisions that we have through the Lord's Supper. God's fatherly provision as well is that it helps our weak faith by giving us something visible. And it's personal as well, as we know Christ Jesus is here in a special way as he's promised in his word, and he has given us the supper to help us understand all the more Christ's love for us and his death, the fatherly love through Christ Jesus and the death of his own begotten son. The highest lover, love of the Father above is in sending his only begotten son to miserable sinners such as us. 1 John 4.9 In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him In this is love. What kind of love? The fatherly love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Brothers and sisters, as we have the Lord's Supper this evening, let us not hold back thinking of ourselves and our sins, our temper, and our lust, or whatever things that we have, but bring them to Jesus 
and cling to the gospel promise that God loves us with a fatherly love, an everlasting love, a love that protects us, a love that provides for us, and a love that's personal as he is with us through Christ Jesus, with the supper and without the supper forevermore. Let us pray. Glorious God above, you who are our Father, and we who are your children, adopted to be sure. It's an amazing fact to contemplate that we who are of flesh and blood of the dirt of this earth are going to be brought into eternal glory with our Lord and Savior. And the Lord's Supper is a taste of that in many ways, and certainly a taste of here and now of your love for us, of a love of a Father showing us his great love by giving us his only begotten Son. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be propitiation for our sins. Praise be to his name. Amen. Let us uh, sing hymn 350, verse 1. 350, verse 1.